Alright, 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're at. I want to start reading in verse 19. It says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, unto all that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. And to them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. So the Apostle Paul, when he's explaining all these things that he is to men and all these different ways he goes about doing everything, it's very clear that he, all these things that he did was just so he could reach people with the gospel. And there is no doubt the Apostle Paul, his life's focus was the gospel. I mean, that, that is what he lived and breathed. That's what motivated everything that he did. And what I want to preach about this morning is steering the subject towards the gospel. Now, while we see a lot of examples in the Bible of organized soul winning that maybe resembles what we do on a regular basis, we also see uh, examples of the gospel just naturally coming up in conversations. And I think that's important. I do believe we need to have organized soul winning where the sole purpose is we're going out and preaching the gospel. But that's not really what this message is about today. I think we miss a lot of opportunities to present the gospel throughout the week. And I personally believe not only do we miss a lot, I think we're not, not only just missing opportunities, but we should have the attitude of we're trying to create opportunities. And I think that's a mindset we ought to have. And, you know, it's just a fact that we all know how to steer conversations where we want them to go. I mean, there's, uh, we, we all know how to steer the conversation towards things that we want to talk about. If you're a sports guy, everything turns into sports. You know, man, the weather sure is nice today. You know, I feel like playing baseball. You know, and then you, you know, what do you think about the, you know, the strike and things going on? I don't know if that's still going on or not. But, you know, the, you, some people know how to immediately turn everything to sports. And they always find somebody to talk to about it. They somehow manage to do it. You know, we ought to be the same way with the gospel. And obviously, we don't want to be weird. You know, we're not trying to freak people out. We're not trying to scare people off. We got to make sure we use some tact in these things. But, you know, the gospel is, this is the most serious thing. And we ought to try to be good at this. And so, you know, we want to use tact. We want to use some subtlety when, when we're doing this type of thing. And so, uh, the way I want to teach this today is I want us to look at some examples of probably the greatest soul winners in the Bible and just kind of see how they did because we do see examples of this coming up in the Bible. And so um, I do think that this is not, I, I'm just going to say this too, I'm not a big fan of the method of soul winning where you go out and you invite people to church and then you try to magically somehow see if you can steer the conversation towards the gospel. Okay, I, I personally think that just comes off as dishonest. Um, you know what? We're there because we mainly want to preach in the gospel. And people, when we knock on their door, they're immediately wondering, why are you here? And if they see you beating around the bush, they're going to get suspicious. You know what? Just be open about it. I'm here to preach. And that's what we're doing when we go out in our daily lives. So this isn't stuff that we're probably going to use that often. It kind of reminds me when we do that, too. Of a, there's a missionary 
uh, we had here a couple times. I remember, you know, and I knew him from other things. That, you know, I, I knew him pretty well. And he called me up one time just wanting to have it like he was wanting to have a conversation. And we're just talking. But it was obvious to me he was wanting me to invite him to come present his ministry at the church. But I hate when people call me up and just beat around the bush and won't get to the point. I, I just Let me just give you all some advice. If you've got something you want to talk to me about, call me and talk to me about it. Don't just call me trying to shoot the breeze and then hope I bring it up. Okay? And that's what people try doing sometimes. I just get aggravated when people do that. And so he did. He, he called me up, and he's just talking and talking. And I knew what he was wanting me to do. He was, he was trying to steer me into bringing up him coming to our church. And I was just like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to make him ask. It took almost an hour. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, you know, by the way, you know, I'm trying to get some meetings. And, you know, and I scheduled him. Uh, and, I, you know, and this guy turned out to be a pretty dishonest individual, too. And so it just it bothers me even more now when people kind of do that kind of thing. Just, and you know what? When we go to people's house, they immediately are wondering, why are they really here? I think we ought to just tell them. And if they don't want us there, we get out. Let's not waste the time talking about how nice their decorations are, how cute their dog is, and all these things they teach you to do to kind of break the ice. No, they want to know why you're there. Okay, so what we're talking about is not for our regular soul winning. This is for the rest of the week because we ought to be soul winners every day. That should be our attitude. And so first off, if we're going to be able to do this, steer things to the subject to the gospel, you have to want to talk about it. Now, we're not going to read through 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 9 again, but notice in this passage, Paul was willing to do all these things. He was willing to eat a different type of diet if that's what he had to do. He was willing to submit to cultural norms that he was not used to if this would make it more likely for the people to receive the things that he had to say because when Paul is out traveling through the world, he wasn't just going out there to see the sights and just soak in the culture. He was there to preach the gospel. And so he needed to, you know, he wanted to show some tact. He wanted to show some patience. He didn't want to scare people off. He didn't want to do anything that would hinder the gospel. So he, he did whatever he had to do because this is what he wanted to talk about. This was his subject. And, you know, some Christians, unfortunately, they don't really want to talk about it. And if that's the case, you know, you need to ask the Lord to change your heart in that area. I think, and I think one of the things that will get you wanting to talk about it is one, studying the Bible. I, I get it that you're already saved, but did you know there's still more we can learn about our salvation? That, and and I'm, I'm always learning more about what Jesus did for me. And, and it makes me want to talk about it more. You know, the things that we're studying, the books that we're reading, those are things that we want to talk about. The shows that you're watching on TV, some people find a way to bring, you know, turn the subject to a show on television. Well, you know what? Maybe if you were watching preaching, maybe if you were watching stuff about the gospel, that's what you'd want to talk about. And just like you're able to magically steer every conversation towards some reality TV show, you, you know, if you would actually take the time to study your Bible and to get interested in the things of God, all of a sudden, that ability is going to transfer. It's going to work to whatever you're interested in. And so that's the thing. If you're not interested in the gospel, then really nothing I'm going to say is going to help you because if you don't want to talk about something, you're going to figure out how to avoid that conversation. you got to want to talk about this. You've got to want it. And if you want it, you will do it. There's no doubt the Apostle Paul, this is all he really wanted to talk about. And he, he constantly made it come up in everything. 
That's just who he was. Paul thought about how he ate, how he acted, what customs he followed. Everything he did, he was thinking, how is this going to affect my witness? That was, that was how he was in his mind. Having this kind of desire for souls, too, will help deter you from sin. Because you understand, you know what? If I have a bad testimony, I'm not going to be a very good witness to my coworkers. And I'm kind of hoping one of these days while we're talking on break or something like that, I'd love to be able to get it to the gospel one of these days. And it'll help if these guys have never heard me just totally lose my temper. If they've never seen me punch out a coworker, if they've never seen me, whatever. You know, if, if, we're, all, if we're thinking about that, you know, we're going to watch that. You know, if you're hoping for that opportunity, if you're looking for an opportunity to preach the gospel to your neighbor, you know, you're probably not going to be, you know, having rap music blaring you know, through the speakers in the house, you know, shaking the neighbor's windows. You know, they're probably, you're, you're not going to want them hearing you cussing out your wife. And, you know, just seeing all, you know, the cops show up at your house all the time and doing drug busts and all those things. Because you know these things are going to negatively affect my witness. And, and it's, it's true that if that kind of stuff's happening, it's going to negatively affect your witness. And so that person who actually cares about souls, they're going to be like, you know what? It, all of a sudden, it puts, you know, for lack of a better term, all these rules in the Bible into perspective. All of a sudden, we're like, you know what? I see why we should live this way. I see why we should walk in the Spirit. Some people just have the attitude, all I want to do is go to heaven. And that's real easy. But you know what? God wants you to do good works. God wants you to be a light. God wants you to bring forth fruit. And so God has told us, these are all these things that you need to do so we can be better Christians, so we can be more effective. And when a person actually cares about these things, if that is an interest to them, then... They're going to, they're not going to do these sins. It will deter you from sin, just your desire to win souls. That will, that will do more to get you to repent of your sins than just about anything else. If you're wanting to win other people, you're going to be like, I can't be living like a heathen if I want to win other people, if I want to be effective. And so when all of your activity and choices are based on being a more effective witness, the chances of you missing opportunities are going to be pretty slim. So, and, and, and so look at verse 24. Let's look at where we left off. Because really, the mentality we need to have is the same mentality of professional athletes that they have. And Paul uses this illustration here. He says in verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So what Paul is talking about here is just like that person who's striving for the mastery. That person who wants to win in an event, who wants to win in a race. I don't know if any of y'all in here have ever been, you know, hardcore runners or involved in track and field or some other kind of major sport. But people who are really into sports, they are, they're temperate in all things because if they, they know if I'm going to have my best performance, if they know I've got a track and field meet coming up on Friday, those people, they're thinking about that all week. They're not going to go, you're, if, if you've got a big race and you really care about winning or at least doing your best possible performance, you are not going to go the night before to Pizza Hut and load up on pizza and hot wings 
and all those things because it will affect your, how you run the next day. If you're somebody who is a, is a weightlifter, and one thing that you're not going to want to be doing if you're trying to maximize the weight that you're going to lift that day, if you've got some kind of event or competition come up, you're not going to drink a lot of soda. I'm telling you, soda is something that I've noticed when I'm lifting weights that negatively affects me. You, I, I'm not going to compete at my top level if I'm taking those things in. I do, you know, I do a lot of running races and things. And when I know I've got a race coming, I'm thinking about it all week because I know that what I eat this week is going to affect me one way or the other. And if, and certain things affect me very negatively. And so I abstain from those things. You know why? Because I want to run my best possible race. And so that makes me temperate. Well, the person who wants to be the most effective witness possible, you know what they are? They're going to be temperate in all things. They're like, you know what? When I get all caught up in some of this, you know, uh, worldly entertainment, I'm not focused on the gospel like I need to. You know what? I'm going to keep those things out of my life. When I'm listening to this kind of music, I'm not in a spiritual mood like I need to be. I'm not going to listen to that kind of music. You know what? The things that do help me stay motivated, and we all have our things that help us stay motivated when it comes to maybe physical things or something, but the same thing spiritually. What helps you get motivated spiritually? You know, and you're like, you know what? I probably better get a healthy diet of the scripture. I probably better get around other people who are interested in these same things who are going to keep me motivated. Just like some people, they've got, you know, gym buddies that they go to to help keep them motivated so they'll keep working out. You know what? Some people need those spiritual buddies. Hey, I need, I need somebody to go soulwing with me because I'm not that spiritual and I don't always feel like going out soulwing. I don't feel like being a witness. But it, you know what? If you've got that soulwing buddy that you know is counting on you, you're more likely to do what you don't feel like doing. In fact, they alone can make you want to do it. So I say all that to say that we've got to make sure that we don't let things, carnal things, stop us, you know, from from missing out on opportunities. You know, that athlete, nothing will stop them from missing the game because the timing of everything that they do was thinking about that moment. I was talking, I I was talking with Tommy this week. You know, I, I like doing the 5Ks, 10Ks. You know, we did our first half marathon last year. We're wanting to do more this year. And I don't like doing the ones in the summertime as much because I'm competitive and I want to place good. But in the summertime, you have all like your high school students that are on track and field teams that are in those. And they kill everybody. You know, they weigh like 85 pounds and they, they you know, they're very, you know, trained. They're like, they're just like in peak condition and they just kill everyone. Okay. Now, during but but during the track and field season, they're not in those races, even though they could slaughter all of us. And the reason they're not in those races is because their coaches don't allow them to do other races because they have them on a very strict program that's always you know keeping a certain competition or event in mind. And so they don't want them going out and getting themselves really sore and really, you know, going all out, you know, a day or two before they've got some big thing coming up. And so everything that they do for days before, it's always kind of focused on that mark and a focus on that race. And we've got to be the same way spiritually. 
If we're going to be effective every day, we've got to be thinking about these things. Those people that have an event coming up on a day, they're thinking about what they're eating days before. They're thinking about the sleep schedule, the, the specific exercises they're doing because they know how much recovery time these things take. And, uh, you know, even when they go to bed, what time they go to bed, they're always thinking about that race that's coming up. And unfortunately, I think one of the reasons Christians just aren't very effective today is we're, we just don't think about these things very much. I mean, and you know what? Thank God we think about it sometimes because we have scheduled soul winning. But at the same time, when you have a scheduled soul winning, that's good because it will get you thinking about it sometimes during the week. If you don't have a scheduled soul winning, you're going to be much more likely to just never think about it. And that's the thing. You have people, well, I don't really do the schedule, so I just believe in being a witness all the time. But you'll fi- usually find out those people are barely ever witnesses. You know? And uh, so, but the, but the thing is, it, when we know we've got that time, a lot of times we don't take it real serious. It can kind of turn into a thing that is just more for fellowship. And that's great, the fellowship that we get from it. But I'm just saying, we've got to be thinking about this a lot more. We are here on this earth. We've got to have this mindset a lot more because I do. I believe our best opportunities are during the week around our family, our friends, our neighbors, and we don't want to miss out on these things. So another thing we need to do, we need to learn to develop the ability to recognize good opportunities. Now turn over to Acts chapter 8. Now this, you're not going to see too many opportunities like this I, uh, that are this good. This was a really good opportunity. Obviously God got involved in this situation But um, I I think there's some principles we can get from this. This is the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And it says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem, unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. And the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. And I do believe that there's going to be times where the Holy Spirit is going to tell you, Go witness to that person. And we ought to be sensitive to that. We ought to listen to that. But you know what? The guy was sitting there reading the Bible. You know what? You shouldn't even need the Holy Spirit to tell you, This is a good opportunity. I remember one time I was at a restaurant and I saw a lady reading a chick track. And I remember remember sitting there thinking, Man, she's reading a track. I probably should take this opportunity. And I went to go, t- and so I did. I went to go talk to her, and it turned out she was already safe. She just likes reading the chick tracks. You know, the stories were entertaining. So I was like, all right, well, I didn't want to miss an opportunity. And, and, I, and I've been there before where, you know, you see people, or maybe, you know, we've been out soul hunting somewhere, passing out tracks, and I've seen the person that's standing there reading the track. And you know what? That's a good opportunity to go to somebody and say, understand us what thou readest. Don't say it like that, but, you know, <laughs> say it, say it in modern English. That's a good opportunity. When you see somebody, you know, reading a Bible, don't just assume if you see somebody reading a Bible that they're a Christian and that they're saved. Maybe that's somebody that, that's, that's looking, somebody that's searching. And so this was a great opportunity. He had just come from Jerusalem to worship, but this guy, he doesn't know a whole lot. He's, he's an Ethiopian. He's somebody and, you know, we don't, the Bible doesn't tell us what motivated him to go to Jerusalem, how he got this portion of Scripture from Isaiah. We don't know any of these things. 
We do just know this guy's heart was ready. The Lord, God wanted him to get saved and God provided a soul winner for him. And sure enough, Philip, he took that opportunity and he went and he, uh, you know, asked them about the part he was reading. He didn't understand it. He read that scripture to him. And what did Philip do? Philip took that Old Testament scripture that was prophetic. One that was, uh, you know, tough sayings, one that nobody was going to understand back then. It hadn't been revealed yet, but Philip took that and then he preached Jesus. And we, we need to do that. There's going to be times when you see people, you know, when you see that person who just looks lonely, you know, there's people out there that do, that are lonely, that want somebody to talk to. We need to be watching for those opportunities and say, you know, I'm going to do something about this. You know, when you're uh, you know, do it, you know, sitting on the mourner's bench, as they call it in the mall, waiting on your wife to finish shopping or something like that. You see that other guy sitting on the mourner's bench that you could tell is, uh, you know, wait, you know, take an opportunity preaching the gospel. Well, the guy might think I'm weird. You're probably never going to see him again. So who cares? I mean, so it, it really doesn't matter. You know, look for these opportunities and, and do something about it. Uh, you need, you need to be a people person. Hey, I'm not a people person. Okay, that's not your personality, but you know what? That's where you ask the Lord to help you be what he wants you to be, and he wants you to be a soul winner. So ask him to change you. Ask him to help you with that. Well, I'm shy. Ask him to give you boldness, because that's what he wants you to be bold. Even if it's not your personality, you need to do these things. You can't be so focused on yourself. And that's our society today. You know, and folks, this is challenging in our culture in America today. You know, we have a culture here in Illinois that when you look at somebody and make eye contact, they just look at you like, what is wrong with you? And you say hi to people. I mean, it is kind of like that here, especially if you go in the suburbs and stuff. You know, also talking about the suburbs today. Some people can be pretty snooty and snobby up there, you know, and it's real easy to just, you know, fine, I'll just let you all go to hell if that's how you're going to act, if that's how you're going to act with me. But, you know, um, I said, and maybe me being more of a country boy, I'm going to struggle with those people, but maybe I'm sure there's ways to reach those people. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure sub- suburbanites can get saved too, right? We've got a few here. Right. <laughs> so, so, uh, you, you know, you all are, are the ones that could probably help on how to do that. But, you know, it, it is, it's, it's tough. But you know what? We've got to be willing to get out of our comfort zone. We've got to be willing to not just always be thinking about ourselves. Bible says in Philippians 2, 4, Look not every man on his own thing, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of of men. Jesus was able to do what he did of leaving heaven, coming to earth, living as a man. He was able to do that because he wasn't thinking about himself. That Jesus did not come to earth for himself. This was not an adventure that he wanted to embark on for himself. This was something that he willingly submitted to the Father and did, and he did it for us, for our benefit, on our behalf. And we need to have the same sacrificial attitude for other people. I don't like people shutting me down. I don't like getting shut down. I don't, you know, it, it is, it, you know, it's, you know, it may, you know, have you, have you ever just, you know, waved at somebody and, you know, they don't return the favor? That's rude. That's insulting. You know, that hurts our pride. But you know what? We, we need to be willing to take some of that. 
We need to be willing to uh, allow ourselves to be shut down. That's why a lot of people don't want to go sewing. That's why a lot of people too, they, they refuse to go into the sales world. Okay. You know, the sales world is tough because you got to deal with rejection a lot. And a lot of people just can't handle being rejected. And so it's like, I'm not, I'm not doing sales. I'd rather go dig ditches than have people shutting me down. But you know what? Uh, you, you got it. The thing is, we haven't all been called to be salesmen, but we've all been called to be soul winners. And so we got to learn how to handle rejection. We got to learn how to handle getting shut down. People looking at us like we're weird, treating us like we're weird, being rude, belligerent, whatever. We got to be willing to take that. And it is, it's not fun, but we need to do it. We also need to develop the ability to create opportunities. Okay. You're not going to have many of those moments. I'm, I'm just going to tell you right now. There's not going to be many moments where you're just going to come across somebody reading their Bible, reading a gospel track, something like that. You're not going to have many of those opportunities. So you know what you have to do? You have to create opportunities. Sometimes you have to do that. Look what it says in John 4 and verse 6. From the greatest soul winner of all time, the soul saver himself, Jesus Christ, says, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away to the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which art a wo- uh, am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, I, I personally believe Jesus knew that this woman was going to wonder, What is this Jew doing talking to me? I, I think he knew that. I think, I think he knew, I don't think he was surprised by the response he got from this woman. And you know what? His request of giving him a drink prompted a response that he expected. And then what does he do? He turns around and says, Jesus answered and said to her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. I mean, talk about changing the subject here, going towards the gospel. Jesus literally took this opportunity while sitting at a well, asking for a drink. When this woman's perplexed by it, he's like, you think it's weird I'm asking you for a drink? If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask for living water that you could drink from and never thirst again. That'll get somebody's attention right there. And guess what? It worked. She's like, I want water like that. And you know what? She didn't get it at first. She's thinking, I want water where I'm never going to have to come down here and draw water again. But he's like, you know, but, you know, he explained what it was to her. This was obviously a spiritual thing. And you know the story. This woman got saved. This woman, and what, what did Jesus do? Jesus used this situation, just an everyday situation, and even a unique one, you could say, but he created an opportunity to preach himself to this woman. And this woman got saved as a result of it. And so as our society becomes more and more godless, you know, natural opportunities are going to become, they're going to become rare. You know, there's, there's not that many spontaneous situations where people start talking about God and the things of God. It just doesn't happen that much anymore. And I said, and when it does happen, pounce on it, take advantage of it. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you are only depending on those opportunities, you're not going to get that many opportunities. So you know what you do? You create them. Again, you steer the conversation towards the gospel. And so, um, 
And, and this is kind of how the lifestyle evangelism crowd is, okay? I mean, I do think we should live a lifestyle that reflects who we are in Christ. I think that's a good testimony when we do that. I believe that will help us. I believe it will stop us from hurting our witness when we do all these things. But folks, you are, I'm telling you, the opportunities are going to be so rare where your sweet personality and your just wonderful Christianity is going to make people run to you saying, what must they do to be saved? It's going to be so rare, it's not even funny. And most of the people pushing this lifestyle evangelism stuff are doing everything they can to make themselves look and act more like the world at the same time. So I don't know why anyone would ever go to them saying that. So we, we cannot depend on these things, folks. You know what we got to do? we got to make it come up. That's what we've got to do. We've got to make it come up. We've got to steer the conversation that way. I've told y'all before about the lady when I was getting my oil changed at Walmart one time, who she brought it up to me. Just, you know, there's a little bit of back and forth, and then just boom, just, I forgot the way she, uh, I forgot the way she termed it to kind of kick it off, but I mean, it was. It was not just a natural transition into a spiritual conversation. She just jumped right into it. And she started at, you know, basically asked me if I knew the Lord or something like that. I forgot how she worded it, but what was she doing? Creating an opportunity. One did not, one didn't just naturally happen in there. And I appreciated that about her. I made a big deal to her about how nobody has ever like, you know, come to me like that, trying to give me the gospel. And I made, I made, I made a huge deal about it. Why? Because, you know, I hope she keeps doing that kind of thing. And help somebody else who needs to be saved. I mean, wouldn't you all like that if you went to go give the gospel to somebody? You know, don't we don't we appreciate it when we go, even if they're already saved, if they're making a big deal? Isn't it so much better than some of the people I've talked to in town when you go and you try to tell them about the Lord and they're like, you know what? I'm a Christian. I have my own personal relationship with Christ, and I just don't think we need to be trying to push our beliefs on other people. I, I don't like those people. Okay? They don't make me feel good. You know, they don't you know if they do encourage me at all, it's probably for bad reasons. Like, you know, I'll, I'll show them, but you know, it's the you know the defiant nature in me. But you know, we've got to create opportunities. So the last thing we see here, you need to understand where other people are coming from. You need to know a little bit about other people, other cultures, whatever, so you will know how to take advantage of the opportunity or how to create the opportunity. Because it's going to be different with different people. Now look at John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, notice what Jesus did here. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. So this man is clearly curious about Jesus. He's skeptical, but he's curious. They know there's something more to this man. He comes to Jesus by night showing that he really wanted to get to Jesus, but he was scared of what other people were, were going to think. Jesus, he's got the wisdom. He can see people's hearts. But, you know, even those of us who aren't at the level Jesus is, we can look at the situation and kind of get a good idea of what's going on in this guy's mind. And so notice how after Nicodemus says these things, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
What's he doing right here? Nicodemus, you know, how, saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You want to know why Jesus said it this way in this situation? Why didn't Jesus use the same method every time? Why didn't Jesus say, Why don't you ask me for a drink of water? You ever thought of Why, why didn't he ask it that way? You know, some of us are a little too scripted in our soul winning. And you know, when you're just starting out, I get that, I understand that, you know, you're you're learning, but after you get some experience, you know, it shouldn't be so scripted. You know, and you ought to be able to uh, you know, that's why you, we need to ask questions. Find out what they're trusting in to get them to heaven, and then you kind of go off of that. And Jesus knows he's talking to a Pharisee, he's talking to a ruler of the Jews. He knows he's talking to a guy that thinks because he's a child of Abraham, that he's on his way to heaven. He thinks because he's kept certain laws and he's done good in his flesh that he's okay. But Jesus wants to make sure this guy understands flesh and blood can't enter the kingdom of God. What does he tell him? You must be born again. What, the way he brought it up, the way he expressed it to Nicodemus was in a way that dealt with Nicodemus's hangups that Jesus knew he would have. And you got to understand we might need to speak a little differently to a Catholic than we do a Muslim. When you're talking with Catholics, you know, you got to spend a lot of time showing how it's not about works, that you can't lose your salvation. When you're talking to a Muslim, you've got to, you've got to show them and convince them of who God is and who Jesus is. That's a big thing with them because they, they don't have a proper understanding of who Jesus is. If you're talking to a Pentecostal, you got to, you got to handle it one way. It's, it's going to be different for everybody and so whenever you are whenever you're in a situation where you're around people or whatever you need to figure out how to create opportunities and understanding your audience and who you're talking to will help you with this look what it says in acts chapter 23 acts chapter 23 uh, in verse 1 it says paul and paul earnestly beholding the council paul's on trial you know he's got these people whose you know his life is kind of in their hands he said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. For thou sittest to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest. Then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was a high priest. For it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. At first here, Paul didn't understand who he was talking to, and he kind of made a mistake. Now, I get it. This high priest here was a whited wall. What Paul said was accurate. But it was also very offensive to a people who Paul wasn't so much worried about what they could do to him. Paul's just like, I got an audience. I'm preaching the gospel. And that's what he did everywhere. And so once he, once he realized that, you know, he kind of clarified and is like, hey, I know what the law says, not to speak evil to the rule of the people. So it says, but when Paul perceived, so through these things that transpired, all of a sudden now Paul understands his audience. Paul understands who is in the room. And it says, when he perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, 
I am called into question. And when he had so said, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. What was he doing? He knows they fight about this stuff all the time, and he's kind of able to distract them from him by bringing up the resurrection. And what do they do? They all start fighting with each other. It's like if I'm at a church, and I want to get everybody riled up, and it's close to the Mason-Dixon line, and I've got some northerners and southerners, you know, there's some things I could say that would get them all fired up, you know? Abraham Lincoln was a tyrant, right? You know, and you know, get, you get the Southerners all fired up. You get the Yankees all mad, and they're they're all fighting with each other. You know, there's all kinds of situations like that. You know, you get a group of Republicans and Democrats together. You know, you you know, there's certain trigger things that we could say that you can kind of get the mob going, right? And but and understand that you know, in order for you to know how to get a response like that, you have to understand who the people are. And I'm telling you this to say, you know, I'm not trying to tell you how to start riots and things like that, but I'm just here to tell you that there, it, I believe one of the reasons Paul was an effective soul winner was because he understood people. And we need to understand people. We need to, it's okay for us to, you know, learn a little, you know, you obviously we want to be careful with this stuff, but, you know, to learn about other religions. Why? So we'll know how to reach them. So we'll know where their hangups are. So we'll know how we should present the gospel to them. So we'll know the right things to say. So we'll know things maybe that we shouldn't bring up that might not, you know, that might be offensive to them. We don't want to give not offense to the Jew, the Gentile, or the Church of God. Why? Because we're not, you know, we're not seeking our own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So we're always keeping in mind who the audience is. And so Paul, he kind of recognized an opportunity, an opportunity there to get the focus off of him, and he did. He knew exactly what to bring up to kind of get the response he wanted. We see in Acts chapter 26, Paul is standing before Agrippa. Now, most people, if they're in a situation like this, again, they're going to be saying whatever they've got to say to defend themselves. But the Apostle Paul, all he cares about is winning people to Christ. He took every opportunity like this, because he's not just standing before Agrippa. There's probably a whole council of people, and he's like, all right, I got an audience. I'm preaching the gospel. And what does he do? It says, Then Agrippa said unto him, Paul, in verse 1, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth a hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all the things whereof I am accused of the Jews, especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews. Wherefore, I beseech thee to hear me patiently. Paul understood who Agrippa was, you know, his, you know, and how, what he understood about Judaism and things. So he's like, he's like, I want you to listen to me. And Paul goes on to present things in a way that Agrippa would understand. And so verse four, he says, my manner of life from my youth, which was at first among mine own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning. If they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judge for the hope of of the promise made of God unto our fathers, unto which promise our 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night hope to come for which hope sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. You know what Paul was saying here? What Paul's saying here kind of kills dispensationalism. He was saying the things I am preaching are the things that our people have been waiting for for years. They are the things that were promised to, uh, to our fathers. These are the things that we've been waiting for, Agrippa. This Messiah, 
They, yet you've been talking about that you know about? He's come. The promises to take away the sins of Israel. It's come. It happened with Jesus on the cross. And I am being held, put on trial for just recognizing that what was promised to our people has come. Because you know what? These, this is, these people had not been taught by the dispensationalists yet that what God promised to Israel is still coming in the future. You know, after the rapture. No. Paul's saying, it's here, Agrippa. You know these things. I used to live like you. I used to live like the Jews. But the things that we were looking for have come. They are here. I have just accepted that. And now I'm on trial by our own people. That doesn't make any sense. Because the reality was the Jews were the ones that were in rebellion because they didn't listen to Jesus Christ. So verse 8, he said, why should it be thought an incredible thing with you that God should raise the dead? We believe in the resurrection of the dead. We have the hope of the resurrection. This is what we've been fighting with the Sadducees about all the time. You're on my side in this, King Agrippa. You know about the resurrection. So why is it such an incredible thing for you to hear about somebody being rose from the dead? Doesn't this actually make sense? Doesn't this actually go along with our law? If we are going to rise from the dead one of these days, this idea of Jesus Christ being the first fruits of the resurrection, this is actually fits the law. This proves, this proves us right. Hey, King Agrippa, we've been having this fight with the Sadducees forever. Guess what? We just won the argument if you'll accept the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These are all, all, these, all this that, that Paul is bringing up is stuff that Agrippa should anxiously embrace. And so in verse 9, I verily thought with, my, with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them, and I punished them off in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. And so Paul, he's pointing out basically, I did the very things to other people that are, is being done to me right now. And I was wrong. I was wrong for doing these things because it turned out this Jesus they were preaching is exactly what our Old Testament preached and, and told us about. And so Paul was aware of what Grippa would already understand and he reminded them of those things. And you know what? And, but unfortunately, Agrippa... You know, he was, uh, you know, kind of like Herod and just kind of this puppet king put there by the Romans. And so while he was a Jew and had a belief in these things, he was also a coward. He, he was just he was just a wicked man. And even though I think he understood the truth of what Paul was saying, he was not willing to accept it. And that's why he said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Paul almost got this extremely wicked, powerful man saved. You know why? Because Paul understood who he was talking to and he knew exactly how to do it. But, uh, and, and sadly, you can do the greatest presentation of all. At, at the end of the day, you can't make it, people accept it. You, know, you can't do it. It is up to them. And so we don't want to waste a lot of time you know, belaboring things that people we are talking to already understand. And that's why you know, if, you, if, if you're talking to a Catholic, Catholics get that they're sinners. You know, they, they understand that. They understand the deity of Christ. There's a lot of things that they get. They, you know, they believe in the cross, the resurrection. Uh, you know, you, but you do have to show them salvation is not about works. You know, those are, uh, those are things you've got to do with them. 
And a lot of times people will waste a lot of time telling people things they already agree with. And you don't, you don't want to do that. We have limited opportunities and we have limited time. We need to take advantage of the time we have. And so it helps us to understand a little bit about someone's religion when we're witnessing to them. And so while many principles in this message can help you with your regular soul winning, understand, uh, you know, I don't, I, I don't like the idea of trying to find a way to turn the conversation of salvation when you go knock on somebody's door. I think you just go right to it is best, but we do are going to have to do that when we are just in our regular day-to-day lives. We've got to find a way to make things about the gospel. You know, and that should be easy right now too. You know, everybody's talking about the news. Everybody's talking about the world falling apart. Every you know, what's going on in Russia, all that stuff. You know what? That's what you just say, you know, I'm not really surprised by this because the Bible told us these things were going to happen. You know, and then start talking about, hey, you know, this thing's going to actually get a whole lot worse. Maybe get them real freaked out and then show them the good news, right? I mean, you know, obviously, you, 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 you know, you want to be careful on some of this stuff. But, you know, there, there are going to be opportunities, but we have to take advantage of them. When you're sitting there at work watching the news, I promise you, Anderson Cooper is not going to bring up, you know, Gotta be getting close to the return of Christ. You know, he's not gonna go to Matthew twenty four and it's like this looks like Matthew chapter twenty four, wars and rumors of wars, famous pestilence. He he's not gonna do that. But there's no reason why you I can't watch in that be like, did you hear what he just said? Man, we've got these wars, we've got rumors of wars, we just had the pestilence, right? You know? And and then and they're talking about food shortages, famines. All we need now is some earthquakes in diverse places. You know, show them that in the Bible. You know, some people are going to write you off and be like, yeah, you're nuts. Some people are going to be like, let me see that. And boy, if you get their interest, that's a great opportunity right there. But you've got to bring it up. You've got to initiate it. You've got to make it a part of the conversation. And so keeping our minds on these things, this will not only help us get more people saved, but it will. It will just help us be a better Christian. We will be temperate in all things. And so I, I pray this message will just be a motivation for you to just keep that in your mind. Just keep that a focus. You've got to want it and you've got to find a way to do it. And uh, I'd, I'd like to see more people getting saved when it's not soul winning time. Because you know what? It's always soul winning time. You know, we're right. That's not an excuse to not have an organized soul winning time. But we ought to always have that attitude because there are there's people... We are surrounded by people on their way to hell, and we need to try to make a difference. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help and encouragement to everybody. I pray, if anything, Lord, it will renew our focus uh, on this, and we'll we'll, uh, not only look for opportunities, but we will create opportunities to talk about you and to tell people about your uh, free gift of salvation. I pray it will help us to uh, be very effective, and we'll see many people saved as a result. In your name we pray. Amen.